Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. And welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You. I am Sonia Ebron, co-founder at Courtroom 5. And I am Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. Delightful show lined up for you today. In a few moments, we will speak with Ted Edwards. He's a principal at the bank's law firm here in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, founded in 1994, the firm is the largest minority-owned law firm in North Carolina. So we'll be excited to hear some of the great work uh, going on at the firm. Before we get there, Deborah, what is on your mind today? Well, I want to talk about a case in the Court of Common Pleas in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. It's a case of uh, the tenants who have filed a, an emergency injunction to prevent the, basically the, to prevent their um, apartment building from being um, taken or to prevent them from having to leave their apartment building. It had, they had a, a deadly fire back in December and uh, basically the building was condemned. And uh, it, it needs uh, a bunch of uh, either repairs, um, water-related, um, just fire-related repairs. But a lot of the people aren't able to leave. Some of them aren't able to find another place, rather. There are some are elderly, some who are very poor, some who just, you know, they, they just can't leave right now. And so they can't meet that Janu- uh, January 13th uh, deadline. And so they're asking the judge, to um, give them more time and uh, basically the county to help them find places to live. The reason why I bring this up is that I like that people can see how their lives can change or how how a court can make a difference in their lives. I'm hoping they get what they they need, that they're able to uh, find places and uh, to live until their building is repaired. Uh, that's what I'm hoping, but I'm really glad that they see the power of the courts. I appreciate you bringing it up. It's so important. You know, I'm reminded the um, the Legal Services Corporation, the, the primary funder of legal aid programs uh, in the nation, uh, publishes a justice gap report every few years. And the latest one was just last uh, fall. And one of the things they noted, in addition to the fact that 86% uh, of low-income people just have no access to, to legal services when they need them, uh, the the more startling uh, result uh, in that in that report was that there are so many other claims that people might have or ways to use the court, y- you know, uses of legal services that people don't even understand as legal problems, right? And so, so many things that affect our lives, we just accept or forbear because we don't understand them as something that a court can address. And so it's really good that, you know, the, uh, to see these people standing up and trying to get some uh, some help from court in such a critical issue. Appreciate you bringing that up. 
Well, at Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people, in particular to the people who use them. And we the people are coming to claim our courts. So if you are in court without a lawyer or you need to sue someone and can't find a lawyer to represent you, get yourself over to courtroom5.com. Try a limited version of our services for free. And we hope to provide some relief for you there. At this time, it's my pleasure to welcome onto the show Ted Edwards at the Banks Law Firm here in Durham, North Carolina. Ted, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Fantastic. I want to hear first a bit about you and your background and how you ended up uh, at the Banks Law Firm. Sure. So I'm originally from uh, Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and I grew up, both of my parents worked for UNC, and I grew up hearing about civil rights movement in particular as it related to getting rights for people that worked at the university. Uh, you may know that at UNC, at least for a long time, um, like housekeeping and dietary functions were almost 100% done by Black people. And so um, there was a, a lot of tension at the time when I was growing up between the university and uh, workers that were trying to get rights and trying to get benefits um, from the the uh, university. And they would tell me stories about how it was through the legal system that they were ma- able to make advan- advances and get rights that they should have had the whole time. And so that really encouraged me and, and it allowed me to see that the law was a vehicle for change in a way that uh, people could uh, make progress through the court system. And so that really gave me a a desire to uh, become a lawyer so that I could be an agent of of change. That's extraordinary. And I appreciate you and and the attitude you bring to the profession. And so uh, you should also know I'm also a native of North Carolina. So I know those stories uh, as well. Uh, So so tell me, you you went to school uh, here in North Carolina, got a great education that prepared you for uh, a a bright future in the legal profession. Do you want to share some of that as well? Sure. I mean, I've really been blessed. Let me just say People uh, poured into me and uh, encouraged me and pushed me. <laughs> so I was able to uh, graduate from the North Carolina School of Science and Math um, here in Durham in uh, 1987. And then I went on to uh, Duke for both college and for law school. was able to uh, get a really good education that uh, gave me a, a solid foundation to do what I wanted to do. Um, I uh, practiced law uh, in uh, large firms for the real, I guess, the majority of my career. Um, And then in um, 2015, I had the opportunity to uh, come to the bank's law firm. One of the things that had really sort of struck me as I was uh, getting involved in the practice of law was how um, they just really weren't Black-owned firms and uh, the uh, bank's law firm where I am, as you said before, is, is the largest uh, Black-owned firm in North Carolina and South Carolina, for that matter. But also, it is one of the uh, few firms that has a uh, corporate focus. And, and I just really believe that 
helping uh, minority businesses uh, succeed is is really a, a pathway to uh, empowerment and improvement in, in our community. And so when I had the opportunity to, to come here and, and be a part of that, it was a, a no-brainer for me. That is a very privileged position. I want to talk about how you make a path for uh, other uh, young Black lawyers uh, in a moment. But before we get there, uh, tell us what you do, what the bank's law firm does for businesses in North Carolina and the Southeast. So uh, Sherrod Banks uh, founded the firm in 1994. I would say that, that our core is uh, affordable housing, uh, working with uh, housing authorities around the state. Uh, we, we, we represent most all of the major, how, not just major ones, but the housing authorities around the state. And so, but we have expanded from that, like I said, to develop a general corporate uh, law firm. And so I, I lead our litigation section um, and so my, my focus is on uh, commercial litigation um, and assisting uh, businesses that have, uh, obviously, uh, corporate disputes. I have a particular specialty in construction litigation, but uh, we do uh, a uh, general commercial practice. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. And so what can we do then uh, through litigation or otherwise to increase the the amount of affordable housing available? Oh, the, uh, affordable housing is, I mean, the it takes a, a multifaceted uh, um, approach. In addition to working at the firm, I, I sit on the board of the North Carolina Housing Coalition. Primary uh, focus is to uh, increase affordable housing. What I would say to you is, is that the uh, number one thing that we can do is we have to convince our representatives to make affordable housing more of a focus. And by that, I mean, just bottom line, we have to put more money into the system. Um, you, I could tell you, we could spend the rest of the day with me telling you stories about various housing authorities that are, that are frankly struggling to uh, maintain the um, buildings um, that they have in good order. Um, the the uh, federal government gives very little funding for maintenance of buildings. And so it's very difficult to uh, uh, maintain um, the, uh, the units in good order with the funding that they have. But in addition, all of the housing authorities have long wait list. And so there is just a, a, a huge need to build more affordable housing. Because of politics and because of cuts to the uh, the um, HUD, uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development, housing authorities have funding has actually um, decreased relative to the need over the last 20 years. And so it doesn't take a, a math major to know that if the need is increasing and the funding is decreasing, that it's going to lead to uh, problems. And so what I would say, probably longer answer than you want, but it is that we have to really encourage our representatives to make funding for affordable housing a, a priority 
and to have a, a source of uh, recurring funding that's set in, in the state and federal budget so that it's not just a year-to-year kind of hat-in-hand kind of situation, but it is that, that there is a uh, sort of permanent source of funding and, and that is proportional to, uh, to the need because you don't have to be an expert in affordable housing to know that housing price prices are increasing greatly and that working people are having difficulty finding places that they can afford to, uh, le- to uh, live. And it shouldn't be that way. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. I appreciate the the thoughtfulness uh, of your answer there. So government funding is uh, one potential solution, increases there. That That's a, a no-brainer. We need that to happen. Are there market solutions? I know you're a lawyer, not an economist, and so I don't want to take you too far afield. But one of the other things that, that, that I think has a lot of uh, potential is increased use of public-private partnerships. Um, where we get private developers that are wanting to build uh, new apartment communities, new uh, single-family ha- um, homes um, in, in our cities, that the, the uh, government can um, enter into public-private partnerships where some of that those units are set aside or uh, made available to subsidize housing. And in fact, I think that that is a, one of the things that, that we really ought to be doing a, a lot more of. It is not a, a good solution, in my opinion, to uh, build what in the 70s and 80s were referred to as housing projects, where we concentrate low-income people in, in one area of town, and then there's a stigma associated with uh, that area. It is, it is much better for everyone if subsidized housing is included with market rate housing. And so that um, uh, children from, from market rate families and children from subsidized families are attending the same school and they are interacting with each other. And so that there is not, you know, that type of uh, stigma. And the, the housing authorities, um, I'm pleased to tell you that housing authorities have, have already begun doing that much more. If you were to look at the uh, newer communities that housing authorities around the state and the nation are developing, you'll see that it is a, a mix of subsidized and market rate housing um, that, that, that they are building. But I would love to see more of that on the uh, private side where in, in the private market, developers were uh, required to have some affordable housing in with the, uh, the new housing stock that, that they are developing. Some areas are doing more, better at that than others, but it should be universal. It should be. Absolutely. Let me ask you then, um, can property law speak to this issue at all? Right? Are there natural rights that people have uh, for housing that litigation might have some impact on? That is a a good question. What I would say to you is I think that there is potential for that, but that's not where we are today. That's not the uh, law today. 
now, and I'm just being real, and I'm a, I'm a practical, simple guy. And, you know, I don't think with the uh, current composition of our Supreme Court that that's likely to happen anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that, that the effort is not worth it. Change happens slowly. So I, I, I definitely think that there is opportunity for, you know, the law to be pushed in that direction. But I just, you know, what I would say is, is that that is a, a long-term strategy that I don't think is going to happen this year. <laughs> Not for a while. I appreciate that. All right, let's let's bring it back then. Um, so you are, again, in a very privileged position as a Black attorney working at the largest uh, Black-owned firm in, in the in the Carolinas. I mean, that is, uh, you, you must go home happy every day, uh, as a result of that. And, but it's a result of, as you said, people pouring into you, getting a fantastic education here in North Carolina. Uh, and so there are black attorneys graduating from law school, you know, every year. How do we reach, um, not we, cause I'm not a lawyer, but how do you and, and firms like yours and, and successful black attorneys like you, reach uh, and, and create a pathway for, for their success. Thanks for that. that is, that's something that I really um, make a lot about and um, try to put into practice. I really believe that, uh, you know, we have, uh, as Black lawyers as, and more generally as uh, successful people in general, we have a, a, a responsibility to pay it forward. We have a responsibility to uh, reach out to uh, young people in our profession and to mentor them and to uh, to help them. I have been blessed so much by other older attorneys and judges that helped me when I was coming out. We have to keep doing that, and we and I think we have to do more of of that. One of the things that I think is generally true is. There are generational differences um, with this younger generation. And I know I sound like an old man, but like younger people now, my, my experience is, is that they're, they are less likely to uh, reach out and to make connections. They're, you know, like interpersonal contact is not as much what they feel comfortable with. They're much more comfortable on their devices and, and communicating via text or some other way like that. And which oftentimes creates like a, a gap between um, people that are not of their generation that are used to people picking up the phone and calling them or seeing them in person at some event and uh, creating a, a relationship, sort of what I would call the old fashioned way. You know, and, and and that's definitely been true in the legal profession. And 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 what I think is is that we have to be more proactive as the the older generation to meet them where they are, and not wait for our phone to ring, and not wait for them to figure out how to reach out to us. But like we have to reach out to them because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what you need and we have to invest in them and help them sort of so that we can continue to, to uh, build on the progress that 
that we've already made. You know, I come from a family where my my mother, I, I mentioned earlier that um, I graduated from Duke. And I'm I'm just so proud that like my mom graduated from Central the same weekend that I graduated from Duke. And uh, she 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 put herself, you know, through school. And um I was so much more proud of what she did than what I did because it was a lot harder for her. And well, I say all that to say that like, you know, we have to if we're gonna to continue to to make progress as we have generation over generation. We have to pour into these young people and help help them so they don't have to learn all these lessons for themselves because that's a long and tiring and hurtful process. And if we can save them some pain and some pitfalls, we got to do it. Got to do it. Absolutely. Congrats on your mom. Just for our uh, listeners here, Central is North Carolina Central University, uh, the historically Black university here in Durham. And so congrats again to your mom for that. That, that must have been a wonderful day for you both. It was. Fantastic. Well, I, you know, I know that you all at the Banks Law Firm do a good job of reaching out to younger Black attorneys and just uh, I'm grateful for that and want to encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, and for young Black attorneys to, uh, to reach out to you all, knowing the door uh, is, is, is open for mentorship there. Let me ask you then, uh, you all put on the Triangle Golf Challenge uh, every year. It's a wonderful celebrity golf uh, tournament uh, here in uh, Research Triangle Park. Tell us about that, what your goals are for you know, one of the things that I really uh, love about working here is that we do have a commitment to the community. When uh, Sherrod Banks founded the firm, he also created a, a charitable foundation called the Banks Foundation. And so our firm, we uh, put on the uh, golf tournament that, that you mentioned uh, through the Banks Foundation. And, and what it is the uh, money that uh, we raised from the, from the golf tournament goes to uh, help people make their down payment on on a house. And so we are, um, as you as I mentioned before, you know, affordable housing is our sort of primary focus. And so we help people that are in affordable in um, public housing who are trying to move out of public housing, which that's the goal is to move people out of public housing into home ownership. Our foundation helps people that are in public housing by giving them help with coming up with the down payment on their on a home, which you guys probably know just from practical experience. That is often the biggest barrier. It's not that they can't make the uh, monthly mortgage payments, but they can't um, make that down payment that you have to make on, on that mortgage loan. And so that's what our foundation does. And, and that's what our golf tournament um, does. And so, you know, I'm really glad that, you know, sort of we are, you know, not just talking the talk, but 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 walking the walk. And um, really, it's just so gratifying to see, you know, that tangible difference that, you know, our foundation makes in the lives of people. That's right. That's right. You know, when you find yourself in a in a in a position to give, that's what you do. Uh, and so, really, really appreciate um, the firm's work in that regards. I know you also put on a fantastic uh, Christmas party every year. Uh, that is also a a fundraiser. You want to share a bit about that and the goals there? Yeah, yeah. We uh, do a, a the uh, Christmas party at the Marriott um, every year. We 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 uh, do that with we partner. 
actually on that one with uh, two other law firms that when uh, Sherrod Banks founded the our law firm, they, the uh, three law firms, um, James Rogers and uh, and Bush Williams, they, they were all originally next door to each other down in Brightly Square. And so they started a having this Christmas party and then decided to uh, use it for a charitable purpose as it, as it grew. And so each year we uh, pick a, uh, a, a charity. Uh, last year, um, uh, we worked with the um, Aphasia Foundation. Aphasia is like people that have stroke, that have difficulty speaking. Um, we, we've been working with uh, them. And we also, so every year we, we pick a different charity and that was the one for last year. But we also, every year we work with Toys for, for Tots. And so we, we, we do a clothing drive and a toy drive for Toys for Tots every year. So we always uh, rent out the entire uh, Marriott ballroom the downtown uh, Marriott and, uh, you know, we'll have a thousand, fifteen hundred people there and um, we're able to, you know, it's just amazing to, you know, to see the uh, toys and the coats and the clothes that are donated. And so I'm glad we're able to do that. And we have a good time. <laughs> that is the key. If you're going to do good, also have a good time. Yeah. Uh, Ted, I'm going to share your law firm's uh, website on the screen for our viewers, the Banks Law Firm at bankslawfirm.com. Where else can people find you all online? Uh, we have our Twitter and our uh, LinkedIn account. So you can find us on, on both of those things. Um, and then you can also uh, find me individually on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. We'll make sure uh, folks have the links to that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Ted, for uh, joining us today and for sharing uh, so much good news about the Banks Law Firm. Really appreciate the good work you all do, and we'll stay in touch. Thanks so much. All right. Well, I look forward to it. It was a pleasure talking with you all, and um, feel free to call me back whenever you like. You bet. All right. <laughs> All right. He don't, he don't know we're going to hold him to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit you up for that Christmas party invitation. Yeah. Next year. That's for sure. <laughs> that is great. So, Deborah, uh, we just have a few minutes here, but um, tell us about the uh, answers to the last quiz and what you have teed up for next. Okay. We have this scenario. Tori was sued by Big Bad Bank for failing to pay a credit card debt. Before Tori could respond with an answer and affirmative defenses, the bank sent her request for admissions. Tori thought it was too soon for this type of discovery and did not feel compelled to respond. Is not responding wise on her part? The answer is a huge, big, resounding no. I should have made that much bigger. Uh, of all <laughs> the discovery not to answer, don't make it be the request for admissions. Because uh, if you do, then um, other party can say, okay, the other party can move to have anything you didn't respond to admitted as true. And so Tori is not, it's not a good idea for her not to answer. Okay, so today's, today's quiz, a blank is a court order that compels a witness to testify at trial or at a deposition. Is it a summons? Is it a complaint? Is it a subpoena? Or is it a pleading? So we will see the answer to that on our next show.
That is great. Looking forward to, to, to seeing that. Good, good, good. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today. Uh, as always, thanks for joining us on Who Wrote That Up For You? And we will see you next time. Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid? As if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, you're not powerless. Our courts belong to us. And their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court. Or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.